Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, Join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Hey everyone, this is the Helping Friendly Podcast. Um, we are back. Um, we haven't recorded an episode in a while. We're really excited to have um, Scott Bernstein, who's at Hey Scotty Beyond for episode 85. Um, Scott, thanks for joining us again. Glad to be here. And we're going to do a little um, chatting about um, what you're up to, about music, and then obviously we're going to talk about Fish Summer Tour. Um, a lot, lot to talk about. I think this is um, maybe one of the most interesting tours if you define interesting as you know varying opinions and lots of stuff to, <laughs> to to chew on so i'm excited to get into that but 
Um, Scott, you're doing a lot um, this summer, as always. Um, how are things going with Jambase? Um, what's going on? What What are some things that are coming up in, in 2016? Uh, it's been an amazing year. We launched a completely new website uh, right at the end of the year, and uh, it's been great as people are getting more used to it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing on the editorial side. It gives us so much, so many more options in terms of the media we can use, and it's re- reflexive, and uh, you know, we'll f- it looks as good on mobile as it does on a desktop. And you know, it's crazy how many more people are accessing the site from mobile than than they used to. And now, nice. really, a majority of people people look at stuff on their phones. And uh, you know, I feel like we've we've got a great technology there on, on the mobile side so so it's been been great and uh you know you can expect more of the same throughout the years throughout the year we've got a great team of contributors that we just continue to fine tune and uh you know the other editor andy and i uh, it's just been uh we've got a real nice flow going right now and uh, it's just been exciting times uh, in, in music as well that's awesome and cool. it's, it's nice to um obviously you got to be you know meet meet your audience where they are but it's nice when you can make those changes and see the results because i think that's something i hear a lot in in terms of web and communication stuff like you got to meet the audience where they are but turns out if you do that it actually works out pretty well exactly no that's very true um what about music wise what's what are some of the things you've sort of um either covered or, or seen what, what are some of your highlights um aside from fish so far this year uh it's been been a great year i got to see both uh, pearl jam and, and radiohead at madison square garden two very different concerts but two you know mind-blowing experiences in their own right and you know it was, it was only the second time I, i'd seen pearl jam and i was just taken by the the audience it's uh a very enthusiastic crowd, but a very knowledgeable crowd. I mean, the the rarer the song, the bigger the response it got. You know, it was not like even Flo and Jeremy got the biggest responses of the night. And uh, I, I, I like their presentation. It was very minimalist, but still very cool. And, uh, you know, Eddie Vedder just tells a story between every song. And it's just so not what we're used to in the jam scene. And uh, he's a true front man. And, and you know, and Tom York is a true frontman in a completely different way. And, uh, you know, also got to see a lot of Dead-related stuff. And uh, Joe Russo's Almost Dead continues to uh, impress. And, uh, you know, just last week I saw a great uh, Bob Weir showcase here in the city. And his Cowboy album is, you know, a very different side of of his musicality than than I'm used to. And uh, I think people are going to be very impressed. And it's great to hear new original music out of that camp because it's so been, you know, everything has been focused on the the, the dead canon for for decades. And, uh, you know, it's exciting to see one of those guys go, go in a completely different direction. Yeah, I was really uh, excited to see that you, you were there and uh, read your comments about it, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing that record, which is not something I honestly thought I'd be saying in 2016 about a Bob Weir album, so uh, it's kind of great. Um, and J-Rad, it, they, uh, they're getting all the hype, and I'm finally going to get to see them this year, so I'm kind of excited. Nice. Um, Ween? Have you, uh, you saw Ween as well this year? Have you seen them yet? I did, uh, and they, they were one of my favorites from, from the good old days, and, you know, it was really uh, a bummer that the, the way it went down for a while, And but I always knew that they would get back together at some point, and uh, they were in, in fine form. Uh, I saw three nights in uh, New York City at a, a terrible venue, but uh, they put on a hell of a <laughs> show, and 
played about 90 different songs between the three nights and i'm really excited to see what goes down at locking to see how, how they play and to see if they have any interaction with any of the other acts yeah i'm not going to hold my breath for that but that would be very cool if it does go down you've been following along obviously the music scene for a long time as have we uh and uh what do you have any thoughts about how things are evolving if they're evolving over the past couple of years any trends uh that you know people should look out for as we continue through 2016 yeah i mean the the battle for people's live music dollars is is fierce you know artists don't depend on album sales like they used to and in fact i feel like right. you know most musicians these days make albums for themselves more than anything else because in in i would say 99 percent of the cases they're a, a money losing proposition and uh, so it's really all about, you know, how you do uh, in the live realm. And uh, so I feel like bands are pulling out all the stops and, you know, acts like Bruce Springsteen and Sting and, uh, uh, and, and, and Pearl Jam that are continue to, uh, you know, make each night very different from every other night, which is very jam scene type way of doing things. And I feel like that's, you know, really more artists are coming around to that and, and realizing the value of that. If you're Paul McCartney and you want people to see you every couple of years, you've got to change it up and can't, you know, rely on the exact same thing, you know, and I, another right, big that's trend that, proven that I've model, seen, right? And another trend that that I've seen, especially in the past year, is just how many of the concert promotion companies. There's so much consolidation. Uh, you know, Golden Voice, which runs right. Coachella and brought Fish out for uh, for Festival Eight, are are now a part of AEG, who. Um, and uh, uh, other companies are being sold. Bonnaroo is the Superfly is, is owned by, or it's Bonnaroo is, is owned by Live Nation, and Governor's Ball was sold, and Bowery Presents was sold. There's really few independent promoters remaining, with you know really Pete Shapiro standing out, you know specifically in in that pack. And whether that's a good or bad thing remains to be seen. But I just feel like the more companies you know trying to compete against each other the better so but it remains to be seen yeah we still have imp here in the uh, dc region who is uh fighting the good fight as well but yeah the consolidation is it it's tough and you see the good and the bad you know the bad side here in in this area was that for example when ticketmaster had their big uh, debacle and they had to give away all these free tickets. There was hardly any in this area because they actually don't run all the venues around here, for better or worse. <laughs> but there were no free right. tickets. Sure. But, you know, that's, that's, that's the cost. That's the consolidation coming in. It's interesting this, this kind of view you have of the, the music industry and seeing the, the festival, like particularly on the festival scene, there's a lot of stuff coming up. Um, in the next few months, festival-wise, but otherwise, what are you particularly looking forward to um, for the rest of the year? Uh, you know, there, the fall album, there's going to be quite a number of really good ones that I'm looking forward to, and you know, I would imagine we'll hear Fish's album before the end of the year, and uh, as I said, the Bobby album, and... Yeah, and and uh, the, you know what I, I would imagine there's a Umphreys. You never know when they're gonna drop something. And uh, Dean Ween is, is putting out the Deaner album. 
so uh, more so than usual, um, I'm really there's a number of albums uh, looking for, that I'm looking forward to. And on the live side, uh, Temple of the Dog reuniting. Um, hopefully, going to see them at, at Madison Square Garden. And uh, you know, I, I nice. loved that album when I was uh, you know sophomore in high school, and uh, never thought oh, yeah. that they would play together. So that'll be uh, very interesting. And then of course, Fall Tour for for Fish. And nice. I saw them do Hunger Strike at Lollapalooza. 92 I think yeah 92 something like that so I know that you um this maybe this tour wasn't um particularly conducive to flipping desks but how do you um do you have like a is it is, it, is your desk made out of a, a pliable material or or do you just have a constant supply what's what's the story behind your desks have you got a, have oh, you got it, a it, desk a, guy <laughs> I, I got a desk team Let's just put it that way. Uh, I happen to live right next door to a staple, so it makes it really easy, and they, they know me by name, and uh, they find it hilarious, and I'm hoping that they'll sponsor me for fall tour, but stay tuned. <laughs> nice. nice. Uh, some news, a couple news points. Trey is playing Peach Fest this weekend, which is strangely in Pennsylvania, not Georgia. I, I've yet to figure that out. Um and then what do we have? We have, of course, Lockin has Fish, but it also has Paige and Fish and the String Dusters with Phil, which is, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, yeah, I know, you know, we're String Dusters fans here on the podcast, but also that Paige and Fish guy, those guys are pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, they are cool. Um, and it's, it's kind of nice and to see Paige, them uh, get... Paige rarely plays with anyone else these days. So, you know, yeah. that was what was so crazy about the whole him sitting in with Twiddle. It was the fourth time he sat in with a band that wasn't Fisher or the Meter Men in five years. I mean, wow. it just is, is a rare, rare occurrence. And uh, so I'm, I'm really excited to see him play the music of the Grateful Dead and to play with the Dusters. It's going to be uh, great. It's going to be really awesome. Um, Scott, what's your take on Twiddle? It seems like that's it's. I heard from one friend who I won't name, but it's a Twitter friend who said that they're they're going to be the next big thing, which I think was an interesting statement. But um, seems like they're they're definitely making moves. What's your take on where they are and and what they're adding to the scene? What are they doing that's that's uh, connecting with people? Uh, I think it's you know one of those things where if you like Mahalia's voice, then then you're really going to like Twiddle and. Uh, They've done a really good job of playing a lot of shows, having a varied set list. They, unlike really anyone else in the jam scene, don't rely on covers and rarely play covers. And uh, they, they, every time they come back to New York, they play a bigger venue. And I, I think they're doing it the right way. And they're road dogs. And, you know, it's just a matter of if, if you like their, their music or not. And I think uh, it's an unfortunate name that lends itself well to ridicule. <laughs> this is totally you know, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I've heard people make fun of Fish's name back in the day, so it's not a uh, it's not oh, it's a, a jam band staple. You know, right, yeah. right. So I, I haven't listened to them, so I don't have much comment other than you know to say that uh, to reiterate what you were saying about how they they are playing ever ever larger shows, and um, you know that that's good for them. Yeah, good credit to them. Yeah, so um, also this um, the Fish Band has announced a fall tour with um, with a Halloween thing happening. Do we have thoughts on that? 
I think it's interesting. It's all multi-night runs, really, except for Jacksonville. And uh, man, if you live in Jacksonville, how excited! And you're like been a fish fan for 25 years. How excited right. are you that they're finally going to play your town? Um, I, it's kind of short. I fear just when they get warmed up, uh, it's going to be time to to, to head home. Um, but I'm really excited to see what's in store and uh, what they possibly can come up with for. Halloween. Yeah, Halloween is going to be interesting. I mean, I, I was kind of surprised, I guess, um, just because it seemed a little bit late to be announcing a fall tour. Maybe it's not because I don't really know, but I was like, oh, wow, they are doing a fall tour because people had been talking about the rumors forever and suddenly it happens. And um, like people said, all southeast and, and you know, southwest. Um, pretty interesting, like, little run there. I don't think there's ever been a tour quite like that in terms of geography and um, flow, you know, geographically. Yeah. Are you guys catching any of these shows? Yeah, I'm going to do Alpharetta. My my, my plan is to do the two in Alpharetta. Cool. Same with me. Cool. Excellent. Jonathan, what about you? I can't decide sort out where I'm going to go, so um, I'm either going to quit my job and go to all of them, or, no, I really have no (laughs) idea. I could could just as easily be in Nashville, and I think I talked to you, RJ, about, you know, Bob Weir's playing the Ryman the exact same nights that Fish is in Nashville, Mm -hmm. so I've considered the possibility of one of those and one of the Fish shows, um, which I know you thought was crazy, but... I did, I thought it was crazy, but... It is the Ryman. But I respect your opinion, you know? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could be the only tour tour Bob does like that, you know, with those guys from the National and uh, Josh Kaufman. So, you know, I mean, you put that up against Fish, who does play not all that not much, but certainly more than this could be True. a one-time only tour. True. You're but the, I told I, you tonight it's a Fish. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I, appreci- I think Jonathan appreciates <laughs> you lending credence to his his theory and reasoning, but um, slightly. But we all know I'll pick the wrong night, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> um, so so let's get into the summer tour discussion, Scott. Um, we appreciate you being willing to kind of chat with us about it. It's, it was an interesting tour, I think, to say the least. Um, there are some shows coming coming up, but you know, it was funny for us doing the the quick hits um, the day after all the shows and. You know, the the people, obviously, who came on and did the quick hits had a great time. And they were just, you know, they weren't all... No one was really blown away by the music, but obviously everyone had a great time. So I think if you listen to the quick hits, it provides a little bit of a different um, vibe than what you read online, which I guess is probably par for the course. But I guess, um, Scott, get your opinion on, you know, was it was it a more tumultuous tour than others, or is this just people on the internet complain and people who go to the shows have fun? I mean, I don't know about tumultuous. It was certainly a fun tour. There were highlights every night, but I think perhaps we were spoiled by uh, you know summer 2015, as, as I thought this tour fell more in line with uh, fall 2014 and, and what we saw in Mexico than you know summer. 2015 and fall 2013, which in my opinion are the two best tours of the uh, era. And But, you know, that said, there were many treats to be had. It was great to see them finally open up uh, Moma Dance, and there were a handful of top-shelf jams. Uh, you know, the Chalk Dust, the 
Beckett as, as well, and, and to Sally in San Francisco. And I thought one of my favorite parts of the summer was the way that the band opened up the rotation, you know, in a big way. Uh, you know, there were 205 different songs. And, uh, you know, as far as the new material, I was very surprised by we saw, you know, before the tour, we had Trey talking about this, uh, not, not Trey, actually, first from Hamilton, talking about a 15-minute song that he recorded with the band, and the material is a meaty and not balanced, and then all of a sudden we got some ballads, so we're really back a ton of material and, and not playing yet, or those quotes were red herrings, and you know, that, that remains to be seen. Well, Trey does uh, mention in what we're going to be listening to later, he does mention, you know, with the new album being finished and that we're going to have to wait to hear it, so maybe that's part of it. Maybe they just want to sit on it and let the album speak for itself before they uh, start playing it, which would be unusual. You know, why not do something different? It could be. I mean, it would be it would be an interesting decision. Do you guys think that the album will come out before Fall Tour or no? If they said it's done, you know, then I, I would say it's generally a, a three-month release cycle. Um, okay. So, you know, Bob Weir just announced last week an album that's coming out on September 30th. So, you know, if Fish does it, 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 announce it in the next two or three weeks, and certainly stranger things have happened, um, you know, and you've got bands like Radiohead that'll just announce an album and put it out a few days later. So, you know, honestly, I, I do think it will come before a fall tour, but uh, I would put that the, at like 60-40. Nice. Yeah, I think the, uh, the challenge is that, you know, Fish, unlike Radiohead, has always played the more traditional game of getting all of the physical releases out simultaneous with the digital release and, you know, it, the time to release an LP, unless you're, unless you're Warner Brothers, who, you know, can jump the line at, at the plants, is uh, it, it's extended, uh, particularly when you get closer and closer to the record store day release times. Um, so it takes a while to get a record pressed. Not a CD, of course, and they can crank out a digital, you can drop a digital release, you know, in a day. But I think that will be the, that'll be a, an actual limitation on getting it out before the end. Hmm. Not that it can't be done, but I think that's a, maybe it'll be your Christmas record of choice. Interesting. I mean, I, I remember Round Room uh, had, was, came out very quickly after it was announced. Um, it's true. So it'll, Not it'll on be, vinyl, though. It'll be, that's true, true. But I, I can't imagine vinyl really... They, uh, they could always announce... A lot of bands these days will announce albums and have the vinyl date a month later, but we'll, we'll see what happens. I hope we hear a little bit. I mean, that would be kind of an amazing turn of events to hear a bunch of new music on the album and then, you know, hear all those shows just be new music and have it be completely different from summer. That would be pretty cool, just just in terms of variety and things to talk about. But, um, Scott, you mentioned earlier kind of us being spoiled, and I think I'm, I totally agree with that. I feel like that's a good um, summation of how a lot of people act about, <laughs> about fish. Um, including people who write reviews about, you know, people who think that they... Um, the band owes them something or the band, you know, um, they deserve something from the band. But, you know, over the years, we just kind of, I think most people learn to not not think that way. But it does seem like people got a little bit spoiled based on the 20, you know, 13, 14. Yeah, and, and last summer it was, was yeah, and last incredible. Summer, yeah, it seemed, seemed so easy last summer for them um, every night. And I don't know, like, it's funny to read, read tweets, which is always um, a bad way to get, you know, 
information but to hear people there on one side <laughs> it's like you know trey won't go for it or he's like being lazy or he won't put in the effort and then on the other side it's like they're just not they just don't want to jam you know like i don't know if either of those things are true or if it's more you know if it's something completely different what do you what do you guys think what's your perspective on that scott well, you know, I, I think playing the game of trying to figure out what the band thinking is is always a, a losing affair because we really have no fucking clue, you know. Um, so, you know, just in in from from what I can tell, I mean, they were more focused on the songs th- this time around, and it wasn't like they didn't jam, but uh, you know, it's so weird that they they gave MoMA the the twenty minute treatment, you know, one time, and then it was. The next two were exactly the same as all the ones before. You just uh, never know. But it was just odd. What what was most surprising to me this summer was I feel like, you know, there were lots of great moments, but I don't know if they put together a a complete package show that I'm going to be going back and listening to, you know, over and over again, like there were on on other tours in, in recent years. And, you know, outside of San Francisco, I, I feel like most two night stands had one night that was that was really good and and one night that was average great as Charlie Dirksen likes to say. Um, so uh, you know you know it was just I, I felt like they they never found a momentum uh, besides San Francisco run that they were able to you know really build on throughout the tour. It was a very weird flow roller coaster ride to the summer. Yeah, you know, I found we had um, the micro jams more than big, big jams, although we did have a couple big jams. Um, but you mentioned the San Francisco run, and I think this is a, probably a good time to get us into our uh, selection for this episode. We uh, asked you to pick a set for us, and you picked set one of night three at 720 uh, from the Bill Graham Civic Auditorium. Maybe you could, uh, before we jump into it and play it for everybody, maybe give us a quick uh why did you pick it well i i thought you know it had a lot of hallmarks of this summer really a focus on the songs micro jams in you know mcgruff and and curtain with um there were some flubs to be had which was you know we had a very interesting uh friday conversation on yam blog last week and uh you know i asked people to distribute 10 points amongst the importance to you of what fish plays at a show how they play it in terms of the tightness and the amount of jamming at a show and uh you know it just showed there's so many different viewpoints out there and that's why you know fish it you can't please everyone and uh you know for for me i i I, what they play and how they play it are are like threes and i'd say jamming would be four it's certainly to me more important but i do care what they play i do like to see a wide range of different songs and you know i come from the the rush school and the prog rock school and when i first started seeing fish in 1993 and 1994 they were so tight and i just always had my jaw on the floor of how they were playing these really complicated uh compositions perfectly you know and um so i do like to see them play play really well and and there were some nights that that it was like that this tour where they did you know nail a lot of the compositions and other nights where it wasn't and uh while this set 
I would say is isn't the tightest of all sets. That's because everything they played was so rare and they hadn't played in a while. Um, but they they made it through everything and they added interesting little flourishes to everything. You know, even the McGrupp, uh Trey plays this really cool scale at the end of the song that I've never heard him play in any context. And so it wasn't only just that they were playing all these rarities and bust outs. It was the the emotion they were putting into it. And uh, I, I just I, I I think it's a good uh, heart. It, it gives a good example of what this summer was all about. Well, cool. I think you covered it pretty well. I couldn't even weigh in on that Yem combo. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I could not uh, begin to assess in three categories <laughs> points my feelings on what they should play or how they should play it or how much they should jam. It's a great, um, great just, question, think, though, Scott. I think it, like, it, it is. It I got just could, straight to the point, straight to the matter we're talking about. You know. Yeah. So, um, Scott. Uh, RJ, did, did, did you have an answer for him? No, I didn't. I actually missed it. I was um, driving that day, so I didn't really look at Twitter because um, I, I try to not look at my phone while I drive, which I've heard is safe. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, I love those conversations, Scott, because I feel like you touch on what, what people are talking about in a way that, you know, generates some original original content, which is awesome. Sure, um, I enjoy it. I think that like how they play it is the least important to me, I guess, because I just mostly like I don't care if Trey flubs, you know, the composed part of Stash or whatever, because I know Stash is going to be fun. Um, so I guess that I would maybe give the other amounts even and a little more to jamming, kind of like what you said, Scott. But um, but I'd have to think about it more. It's a really hard question to answer. I'm glad you got some stuff out of people. Yeah, and it's just it was crazy to see all the varied answers. I I thought there were going to be a lot that were like zero zero ten. All I want is the jams, <laughs> but it wasn't, you know. And it really, uh, I'll be honest, it came in reaction to uh, Mr. Miner's essay yep. on the uh, tour, and I just, you know, I I. I, I love his enthusiasm for, for, you know, sharing his viewpoint, you know, but he is one of those zero zero ten guys mm-hmm. like he or, or close he, to it, at least. Sure, sure. Yeah. And uh, does not you know, isn't really interested in, you know, what's going on unless it's, you know, involving jamming. And he's not the only one like that, you know, and uh, but I just wanted to see really what the variance was. And it was quite varied. <laughs> yeah for sure that's awesome um well we, let's get into the music but jonathan i want to just i want to ask and acknowledge did you so did you trademark microjam or did you, <laughs> did you coin it can we put it in your on your wikipedia page or i mean where, where yeah did that i mean I, I if it's not on my wikipedia page go ahead and put it there okay, um, cool. under life experiences yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a good it's good though you you made that up right i don't know well, maybe I did. I don't. I don't know where. <laughs> if I took it from somebody, I'm sorry and thank you. But I don't recall taking it from anyone. I it's think just, it's a good. I think it's a really good description you know, of the jamming. Yeah. Um, uh, sadly. Well. <laughs> yeah. Sadly, perhaps. <laughs> well, we'll have to let the audience, um, you know, judge for themselves. Let us know what you think about micro jams, but also about this um, set we're about to play, which is set one from 720 2016 from the Bill Graham Civic Auditorium in San Francisco. Um, and we're going to chat about it after uh, after we play it. So I hope you all enjoy. Again, we're with um, Scott Bernstein, who's at Hey Scotty B on Twitter. Um, and we will see you guys on the flip side. Enjoy.
That's our producer Bob Ezra's in the audience tonight. We just finished our new album tonight, so I can tell you. This is gonna have to wait until it comes out. This one's for you, Bob.
to the shores of the Baltic Sea. The teeth of time have sold the rhyme for how things should be. My cave, my house, my chicken wheel, my little talking pup. Though the march of Colonel Foreman and his fleet hound fall crumb.
Carvana, we're in the business of driving you happy. And with the widest selection of used cars under $20,000, you're bound to find a car that'll put a smile on your face. Carvana gives you control by letting you customize your down and monthly payments. You can browse tens of thousands of cars online to find one within your budget, and you won't get surprised with any bogus fees. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to shop for a vehicle. Carvana, we'll drive you happy. Availability may vary by market. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts.
course, you know what a fuse is. It's a long piece of cord impregnated with gunpowder. When you strike a match and light it, it burns fitfully, sputtering to its end, at which there is a little surprise.
Okay, and that was set one from 2016-07-20, Bill Graham Civic Auditorium at San Francisco, California. <laughs> we heard Demand, the Curtain With, Alumni Blues, and a letter to Jimmy Page, into Alumni Blues, and Fuck Your Face, Cry Baby Cry, Sing Monica, into McGrupp and the Watchful Hose Masters, The Very Long Fuse, into Big Black Furry Creatures from Mars, Walk Away, into Sanity, into David Bowie. That's a really fun set, and... Uh, Amazing song selection. Um, uh, Scott, you want to tell us your, your thoughts on Demand, and we'll take it from there. Yeah, well, one thing that was really interesting about Demand that I would have never known if it wasn't for uh, videographer Lazy Lightning 55 and his incredible Man, awesome. videos. Uh, you know, right as they started, pretty quickly, Fish screws something up and wants to, to, to derail the entire operation. Starts okay. waving his arms, trying to get Trey's attention. Oh, really? And Trey was just looking down, playing this pretty complicated part that he's right. only played once in the past 13 years. Uh, and, you know, Fishman eventually realizes Trey's not stopping and picks up uh, at, at the next adequate part. And, you know, that's something I would have never really uh, known had... Uh, uh, even though Fish did stop playing drums for 10 or 15 seconds, had that video not been there. Um, but, you know, despite the auspicious start, you know, they, they pulled it together. And, and uh, what a rare, great song. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I, 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 I listened to this and I thought, well, gosh, man, I haven't listened to the album. I mean, I got it on vinyl not too long ago, I guess. But other than that, you know, once or twice, and, uh, you know, they, they haven't played it in a long time. I'm not even sure I could sing it, so I'm not even sure I know all the notes, if they were getting them right or not. And uh, But I, I feel obligated to note that my buddy August, uh, he wrote an elevator with Trey back in fall of 09 and asked him to play Demand. And uh, so we, I, I give him full credit for the New Year's 09 version. <laughs> um, nice. Not for this one, though. Not for this one, but this is like the ultimate, the old, kind of the ultimate bust out, as you said, Scott. I mean, that's that's a long time in between songs, and it, it almost it definitely sets the stage for like what maybe they didn't know at the time, but you know, we're looking at the set list, like that's, they're just concentrating on playing crazy bust out shit, which is pretty cool. Because um, this so, isn't this isn't really like a song. I mean, it is, but like it's pretty short and seemed like kind of an afterthought on the on the album way back when. It seems like it's something that they composed that wasn't a full thing, and they realized they could marry it to the uh, the live melt jam when they were making a record. Yeah, and Yerushalayim shells a half as right. well. Right. Yeah, exactly. That is, um, I think, that melt jam from Columbus, <laughs> Newport '93. I think is probably the second most mentioned jam on this uh, podcast. <laughs> yep. Next to Providence Bowie, at least for me. Um, All right, drink for that one, Archie. Yep, I will. Um, and then Curtain With next. I mean, this is like, I'm just a sucker for this song. I mean, it's just, it's just beautiful. And, you know, it's, it's just, uh, I don't know. I could, I could hear this at every show. And, um, when I do hear it, I'm very happy. Yeah. yeah and I thought it was, uh, you know, pretty well played, uh, certainly at least when it comes to the jam part. And, uh, you know, it always reminds me of Reba in terms of similar beauty and style and pure fishiness. I mean, there's not another band that could write the curtain with. Yeah. And the, the jam part is, is that it's taken like one part of rift, right. And slowed down a bunch. 
Is that well? It, this is where it came from. This is where it came from. This is where Rift right. came from. Right. right. Rift. Okay. Ri- when Rift Got debuted, it. it had different music, uh, right. and uh, then they uh, took this jam, this piece, and sped it up. So. Um. Yeah. You know, it's weird if you look at the set lists and you sort of look at all the last time plates. This is one of the most frequently played songs recently in the whole set. It's one of the least rare songs in this set. Just kind of strange when yeah. you're talking about the curtain with. Uh, it's wonderful because I love this song. Um, it's not, I, I'm going to go ahead and go there. So it's not played perfectly, but it doesn't really take me out of it. And back to the whole, you know, the, the Yem combo, it, I, part of the reason I can't quantify that is because sometimes uh, a, a gaff or a flub just kills it for me. And sometimes I'm just like, whatever. You know, and I can't tell when that's going to be, um, except perhaps when I listen to a, a version repeatedly, and I start to notice them more. I can. So. I I, have, I hardly ever notice them live. I mean, it has to be pretty egregious for me to notice it live because I'm just there's so many other things going on. If that makes sense, I, like listening to it, it's so clear because you're you know you're just hearing that that angle about the lights and the people and the you know I don't know. I often I think I often miss them. Um, live. I don't know. That's probably not your not how you are, Scotty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I would agree, but there were some times where they were egregious summer, and oh, yeah. like oh, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, it's one thing for it to happen in a song like McGrupp that you play once a year. It's another when there was one sample in a jar this summer that they just went off the rails, and it's like, yeah. you know, I. I feel like if you're going to play these songs over and over again, you know, that are have have no real improv, then I I'd love to see it played correctly. I felt really bad for Mike during that one sugar shack. Oh, that was. Yeah. <laughs> I felt bad for a lot of people. That was like That was like wow. That was man. That's back night 3, I so believe. The, the, right. Or no maybe. So this Philly. leads me to the question that I wrote in the notes, which is, you know, when Trey is messing up or anybody, you know, you could expand this to other groups, but we're talking about fish here. So when Trey is messing up, what what is what is the right move? Should he just lay out until he can catch up, like uh, say Fish did at the beginning of Demand, or should he wing it straight straight through Flubtown? I can't believe I wrote that down, but I, I agree with the I like the sentiment. Or should he just laugh it off like he did at um at uh what was it at, at Fairly Well? Or well, actually he didn't laugh it off. He laughed it off at a few other places. At Fairly Well, he just he stopped said sorry and then started playing again, which was a little jarring. I mean, what's the best play? Do we know? Do we care? For me, it would be if, if you know, he can't catch on with a certain lick or a certain tempo to do what Fish did in demand and just lay out for a little bit. And then when the next part starts, come come right mm-hmm. back in and, mm-hmm. and give it another shot. That that's would be my preference, but I'm not Trey. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think I agree. Or or the the next most preferable thing is to, like, admit it or, or or just make a joke out of it or something and, sure. and, and do something interesting but i think the the least desirable thing is to just like continue to hack through it which yeah. seems to happen a lot hmm. i mean the guy's got hundreds of songs spot. right to, i mean i'm not i don't think any of us are criticizing no him as a guitar player but it's the the good guitar work i think came in the alumni blues letter to jimmy page alumni blues sure did. it was yeah. impressive yeah, so I was wondering, you know, what does the letter to Jimmy Page say? To say, hey, hey, Jimmy Page, I just ate your lunch. I mean, what? <laughs> I think it's great. 
I always wondered about that. I bet it. I just hope it doesn't start, dear Mrs. Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when are you going to bring that back? Look at that. <laughs> going deep. That's awesome. Um, this is. I mean, the the early versions of this song are just totally absurd in terms of guitar. But I thought this was pretty good for uh, for 2016. Did did you do you guys think it was a standout version of this, or or is it just because they played it and it was it was well played? I would say it was a standout version. I think it was tighter than, than some of the other ones they have played this this era, and especially a letter to to Jimmy Page, which is pretty complicated uh, for a thirty minute instrumental. What do you think, uh, Jonathan? Well, I, I think that it was. I think it was great, and coming on the heels of you know the curtain width, which was beautiful. Once I got to the jam, there's you know I had no concerns with curtain width. So once uh, um, coming on the heels of something that was not perfect. If that's what we're seeking, uh, it, it was a good response and it was a good turnaround. So, um, you know, you make a mistake that maybe the best thing to do is just do something really well right after it so we forget. <laughs> right. Right. Definitely. Um, and that's what he did. Then and then they went into another thing I thought he played really well, which is the, the fuck your face, which is always fun. Yeah, not only were all songs rare they're they're pretty complicated they may be short but you know uh fuck your face is uh you know a pretty complicated little ditty there just like letter to jimmy pages and uh just like demand is so they were they were going for and these songs bring up the thing that uh that garcia used to talk about with uh why don't you play st steven anymore it's like because we wrote these songs trying to be interesting and creative and we didn't really consider what it would take to be able to play them 20 years later um, that's a little bit of what these these some of these songs have, and uh, and yet they they did a pretty good job. Definitely, I mean this is a <clears throat> this is just like a real good preview of Mike Gordon's songwriting from what I don't know 1986 or whatever. I mean it's for <laughs> just such a bizarre song, but love hearing it for sure. And then Jonathan, what about the what about the Cry Baby Cry? I mean this is man. Uh. Crazy. So this one, this one kind of hurts because they, they brought it back. There's no chance of me being there, so you know I, I accept missing shows. But this is a song that I would really have loved, really love to see. Um, I, I think the only, it's it's great. It, it's so short though. This it's a beautiful song that I think they could just a lot. Just sing with Dear Prudence. I feel the same way about that. They they could if they just drew it out just a little. You know, take the take the instrumental chorus segment around another time play a, a solo not even a big jam i think you know that it would not, it, not that i'm complaining i just I, I think that they would really just it would be wonderful uh scott it's interesting though of of all the classic rock covers and all the bands that they cover have they really ever taken a beatles song out I don't think they have. I think that's interesting. You no, know, you've got the, the Who, and you know they certainly have jammed on Drowned enough and Cross-eyed uh, for when it comes to Talking Heads and uh, Rock and Roll when it comes to Velvet Underground. But the Beatles, starting with the White Album full performance, they've really stuck to the script for pretty much everything except for maybe a few While My Guitar Gently Weeps that were extended by a minute or two. Yeah, and and really, that's all I'm asking for with uh, a crybaby cry or dear prudence. I, I'm, I'm not looking for a 20 minute dear prudence because, well, that would be lovely, but you know, <laughs> too much, maybe too much to ask. But uh, 
you know, it would it would be pretty great. Um, um, so then they dedicate Sing Monica to Bob Ezrin, and you know, a lot of people are not big fans of this song. Um, and uh, what do you, what are you guys thinking about this one? I mean, I like it for once every tour. You know, I I think if I heard it every three nights, I probably wouldn't enjoy it. But I, I, I like the electric arrangement a lot more than the acoustic arrangement that they played in, uh, at Atlantic City when, when they debuted it. And, you know, I, I thought it was interesting in terms of covering the show from afar. Uh, you know, I didn't really see anybody talk about Trey saying that they finished the new album before Sing Monica until uh, maybe 2 p.m. the next day, and I happened to be listening back again and heard that, and I was like, wait, did Trey just say they finished the new album? And was able to, uh, you know, write a news article about that right there and uh, get that conversation going. Um, so I- I'd love to know why that song to Bob Ezrin. Yeah, Bob must love that song. I, I think it would have been great if they had played Mercury, though. I'm wondering if it was that <laughs> that Bob Ezrin like disliked the song, and that's why they played it. Um, but that, I don't know. That's the other reason they dedicate songs to people. Exactly. Isn't it? Yeah. I mean, maybe they yeah, do that cause they're, maybe they're afraid of him or something. But um, I guess <laughs> it, it did make it onto the it did make it on the album. So maybe it's the uh, it's the more traditional explanation. But I don't know, man. Something about being at that Halloween show and then watching this set over and over so many times after. I just like, I really like this song. I have no problem with it. I basically have no problem with any of those songs except for Snow, which we never heard again. But um, right. I don't know. I guess because I know it's pretty rare. I think if, if they played it at a show I was at, I'd be, I'd be psyched to hear it. But um, I know, as you said, Jonathan, lots of others disagree. But um, I, I think I'm with Scott is the, you know, if it were every three shows it would probably wear a little thin because it uh, unless it started to change up but here and this set at this point in the set it's in this tour it was was great and then into mcgrupp which was which was pretty cool um this is um i mean we've talked about mcgrupp enough i guess scotty (laughs) scott every time they play mcgrupp we just all say like mcgrupp's awesome they should play it more um scott what's your take on this one McGrupp's awesome. They should play it more. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I really he, liked uh, the, about the ending. The ending. Yeah, I, I, it's really a, a very unusual. And uh, always love what get, hearing Page solo. He really, uh, you know, people don't give enough credit for how different his solos are between McGrupp's. And uh, this one continued that trend. Um, and, uh, you know, you're, there's no such thing as too many McGrupps for me. We then have a, uh, a sequence of songs. We can take them one at a time. Um, some of this we've already commented on, uh, the very long fuse, which is nice to see back. Scott, you had a, you had a thought on this one that we should probably talk about because I liked it. Wait. Uh, I think it, it could, it, it, uh, along with your pet cat, it's my favorite song for it's got this this early fish feel this uh white tape feel this fuck your face uh you know curtain with alumni feel to it i think it fits in really well with this group of songs and uh you know i i 
I thought that it would be one of the songs that caught on the most from the chilling, thrilling sounds of the haunted house. So I was very surprised it took them uh, as long as it did to finally play it. And I'm just glad they did. And I thought they, they did a good job with it. And again, same thing, same turn we've seen all set long. May not be the longest song, but a fairly complicated song. And uh, they did it justice. They did. And it, I love the way it kind of burst into Big Black Fairy Creatures from Mars, which is always a treat. And this was a nice, uh, nice one that got a little, got a little weird and a little funny in, in a good way. Um, yeah, RJ. I mean, this whole sequence is just—it's like very bomb factory. It's just cra- crazy. Yeah. Sh- I mean, it's a little less, I guess, crazy um, in the improvisational on you know unpredictable way, but it's really just weird just weird stuff but a very fish you know um and then i mean big black furry creatures from ours it's fine I, it's i don't think i think i've seen it once maybe at merriweather and it was just like it's just a lot of screaming and you know that's cool um i really it's l- awesome it's awesome be careful what you say okay it's um, awesome. the uh, the walk <laughs> walk away though on the other hand is something i could like always take and i think that's just such a fun fun bust out and such a good contrast to to the big black fairy creatures and that's really the point where it starts getting unfair it's like really what did these schmucks in San Francisco <laughs> do that they get all this <laughs> and you're giving them walk away too like enough Yeah, that's they, kind of how I felt at the time they kicked out you know they're that, kicking people out of the city all the tech entrepreneurs a bunch <laughs> of douchebags I don't know why they deserve this show it's exactly. that nice wear a hoodie in the middle of a July afternoon kind of weather that, that, that they did that for. So, um, <laughs> and then walk away. I, I like the way the rave up at the end of walk away starts, started to feel more and more like a tweezer reprise a little bit. Am I crazy in that one? Um, I, hmm. I don't know. I, I, it's yeah, just, I think that's a you know, trend that, that we've seen. Bills, but sanity, which is, um, well, it's a great version of sanity, which, I, I, you know, we haven't had too many of those in 3.0. But uh, this is a real good one. Uh, Scott, what do you think? Yeah. I, I think it's, you know, along with uh, March 20th, 1992, uh, could be my favorite version of the song. I just I love all the silly antics that were part of it and uh, the screaming. And yeah. they were just having a, a ball up there. And it just comes through so nicely. And, uh you know, uh, so, someone mentioned uh, that, that there's a Trey does a Andy Kaufman reference. You know, does the lot grab yeah. it? Thank you very much. At the end of the song, and yeah, just spotted you know, that the next morning. So so great. Yeah, I so mean, great. the um, sanity, the maniacal screaming is is awesome, and um, yeah, it reminds me every time I hear the song, it just reminds me of the you know early '90s shows and. Um, they they transition into a, a traditional awesome set closer, in my opinion. No, none of this, you know, walls of the cave bullshit. It's you know, David Bowie, which no, no. just careful. <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, I feel like every show I go to, they close the first set with walls of the cave, and I'm like, this song's awesome, but why, why don't you play David Bowie anyway? This is I like really like this version. I thought it was pretty solid. I feel like it. We haven't gotten a lot of good. I just feel like this song hasn't gotten a lot of attention over the past past few years. There's a version of Toronto from a few summers ago that was great, but 
I don't know. I just feel like this doesn't get a lot of attention from them. They kind of go through it, and there's the peak, and it's over. But um, so I, I thought this one was pretty great. What about what about you, Scott? Yeah, I mean, they were certainly not going through motions. Uh, you know, as uh, you know, we had mentioned before this. You know, there was a brief major key jam in there, and uh, you know, it was really the improvisational highlight of, of the set, no doubt. And uh, you know, quite an exclamation point on what was already uh, an incredible set. Micro jam, Jonathan. Micro jam, yes. indeed. Major key, micro jam. Um, you know, full full tempo the whole time, which is which is a good way to do a Bowie. Um, I mean, unless you're going to do a Providence Bowie. Um, and I, I think the placement was great. It was just it, it, it kind of felt like uh, you know the punctuation. I think one of you guys already said, but you know, like a, a let it grow set closer. Um, which was always is always a good thing, you know, just a, a nice, real, powerful, upbeat thing without just copying to a straight rock and roll song or something. That's the best way to end a set, I think. Yeah, this um, this is a really cool set and really interesting, and um, I think probably the most unique set of the or first set of the summer. Um, and Scott, after listening back to it again for this, um, what what was a big any takeaways that you haven't already uh, mentioned? Uh, you know, just uh, that uh, the very long fuse, uh, just how, how buttery of a song it is and, and how inventive. I just, we're nearly two years off that chilling, thrilling sounds of a haunted house. They do not get enough credit and uh, for, for what they did there. They wrote an album, essentially. And yep. each of those songs is very different from, from each other and are some of the best fish songs they've written since 2009, in, in my opinion. And to have a song as kind of complicated and beautiful as The Very Long Fuse and just, you know, it not get played for nearly two years just shows how vast and impressive this the repertoire is for this band yeah um i think that covers it pretty well it's, <laughs> a, it's a really fun set it's you know unique song selection I, I i do wonder if backstage or at some point you know after the second night they sat down and kind of picked up on what was happening on twitter you know with uh with uh scott marks get, do, giving the uh the song unique song count for the year after every new song and i wonder if they 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 saw something heard something about that and said well what haven't we played and then that's what we got that um but may, we probably will never know and that's quite all right yeah i mean uh, this I don't, is certainly made for a good set this set is like i think it's really emblematic of the tour because it's just strange you know i felt like this whole tour was just a little bit strange <laughs> not always in, in a bad way yeah. just you know you'd get like these sets like this and then you know you don't know what's going to happen in the second set and that's um like you said scott at the beginning that's just so different from what we've become accustomed to over the past i don't know three years almost absolutely and uh you know what about this uh second set i'm gonna uh cheat here and bring up the uh set list because I don't specifically remember exactly when that what went down, but I know uh, you know w there there was certainly fee that they they did well with, but uh, it, it, it you know 
with no men into Mike's, into Fee, into Seven Below, waiting all night, yeah. got a Jabu, Miss You, Weekapa, Okipa, Susie, Julius, Encore, Waiting, Character Zero. Um, you know, it really was for the show pretty much about the, the first set. And, uh, you know, it would have been interesting had they followed that up with, like, a four-song second set that they yeah. jammed the hell out of. But that wasn't their MO this summer. And, uh, we would you know, have played that set. <laughs> yeah, that's probably Sorry. true. That's probably true. But, you know, one final thing on, on this show, and something that I have not heard, you know, much talk about is, uh, you know, yeah. the character Zero, that Trey just pointed the mic at the audience and let pretty much the audience oh, yeah. sing the entire song. And, uh, it, you it, know, I think that seems like the audience cool. started it and then he just he just bought in and was like, all right, go, um, which is pretty wild. And now I'm, I'm surprised more people didn't talk about it. I heard it. You know, we, when I listened to it the next morning, and uh, yeah, I'm surprised it, it it didn't get more talk. That's a fairly unique thing. Um, they did yeah. finally they did add it to the Fishnet page, but uh, that's that's kind of cool. I'm not sure I want it to happen every time they play the song, but uh, sure, it's very cool they did it because that's what made it special that night. You know. And, uh, you know, maybe if they released a pro shot video of that and you actually saw the visual of these 8,000 people, you know, providing the vocals, yeah. uh, then, then that would do it. That's a really good reminder. That's a pretty cool feature. I think, Jonathan, you were the one who, who mentioned that when you, because um, I recorded the quick hit. So I know you heard you were on top of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I did hear, like I said, I heard it that morning. I thought that was pretty weird and pretty great. Um, so, uh, Scott, thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks for picking out this show. Um, and uh, had a good time listening to it and going through it. Uh, I hope everything continues to go well for for you guys over at Jambase, and we'll keep paying attention to the Jambase Twitter and the Yem Blog Twitter for the Yem Convos every Friday, hopefully every Friday. And um, Yeah, I do my best with that. Yeah, man. Yeah, well. It's it's a lot of fun, and I think I think a lot of us really enjoy it. So, um, I, what else should we mention, RJ? We should probably mention that you can find us at hfpod.com and hfpod on the Twitters. Yeah. And uh, people yeah, should well, tell us their dot. tell us things, tell us what you think and what you want to hear and what we should do differently and better. Yeah. Always. Um, and Scott, just keep up the great work. Thanks for all all you do for the fish community and the the live music community in general. It's a Jam base is awesome, and uh, we really appreciate all your work. Thank you, and thank you very much for uh, having me on. It. It's been a pleasure. I just want to throw out there that uh, I will be at Lockin giving out yes. uh, my HF Pod share of the HF Pod stickers. So, um, good luck finding me, and uh, hopefully, you can get one. Yeah, I'll and, bring some to um, Alpharetta too. There you go, and who knows where I'll show up on fall tour. Yeah, and for for those of you who listen to the podcast, just to hear Brad's sexy radio voice um he was doing kid things because his time time zone situation is a little tough but he will be back um he'll be back regaling us with with tales and humor soon very excited for that exactly so thanks again scott for joining and um thanks everyone for listening and um hope everyone enjoyed it keep on rocking
number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. Yeah! Yeah! The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs. But what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.